What 10-year period is the most pivotal in a person's life? And what inspired the little black dress? Me. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions me, me, coming me. up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and if you have a little black dress, show off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Marcia, what is the most pivotal time of a person's life? According to Psychology Today, there's a 10-year period that more than any other period in your life will determine what your life will be going forward. Decisions made during this period disproportionately shape a person's future life trajectory. I would say, just classically speaking, we normally think of that period as when you're in your late teens, early 20s, because that's when you have to make all these decisions. Yeah, give me me a range. You're you're not off here. You're not off at all. Okay, I would say from the age of uh, 16 to 26 close 18 to 28 okay yeah and uh it can shape your future life's trajectory and when you think back on it it's kind of scary that uh, people make decisions on what they want to do with the rest of their life based on how they feel at the age of 18 things change in that period sure a lot of people made mistakes had to correct course yeah this wasn't a good idea after all yes well fortunately it goes up to 28 it just uh, <laughs> yeah it, it's mind-boggling. We think of our kids. When did their lives start forming and all that? Well, and it was later. Well, Ben was determined at three, I think. But, <laughs> but Chelsea, yeah, she definitely evolved during that period. Okay, tell all me right. about the little black dress. Bob. Okay, what inspired the little black dress? You know who it's attributed to? Is it Audrey Hepburn? Well, no, the person, the designer it's attributed to is... Oh, is that Coco? Coco Chanel, yes. What inspired it? What inspired it? You got me? Well, she uh, spent years working for low wages in pretty unpromising jobs, and she really designed her way out of poverty. Oh, this was in her book. She based many of her most successful fashions on workers' clothing. Her little black dress was similar to the typical uniform worn by French housemaids at the time. I'll be darned. comes from an article in the New York Times called The Cinderella Myths We Can't Quit. I thought it, that was kind of yeah, interesting. it's in her book. Uh, I think it's called Coco. I read big parts of it. <laughs> Okay. And before we go any farther, Mm -hmm. further, farther. (laughs) Okay. That's always bothered me too. (laughs) I have a mammal correction. I said last week, what are the only two mammals that have blue eyes? And uh, I got it from a bad trivia source. And I should, if I just thought about it for two seconds, I would have known it wasn't true. So, I, so Frank Sinatra did not have blue he eyes? He had blue oh, okay. eyes. Yes. <laughs> Human beings and lemurs, the monkeys. But that's not true. They're the only two primates ah. that have it. Because, geez, look at our friends Dick and Alan. What's their dog's name? Blue. Yeah, because he's got one blue eye. I thought he was moody. I thought that's what the reason. Okay. <laughs> and even the dog next door has two blue eyes. So I didn't pause to think it through. So there are a lot of other mammals that have blue eyes. Though. Correct. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll <laughs> let it go this time. Actually, I have a mammal correction, too. Last week, I said Stephen Hawking was a famous American. He is famous, but he wasn't an American. He was British. Thanks to our listener, Stephen Short, for that. All right, Bob. Uh, we're on our age in psychology today. What age is your physical peak? 
I always thought uh, that it was different for men and women. I think men, it was like in their early 20s or mid-20s. Women, it was later, like 30s. I know. That's uh, what I read before. But now they say age 25 is okay. your physical peak, and that lasts pretty much 10 to 15 years. And then it's all, it's all downhill for there. Yeah, okay. And this will depress you. Life satisfaction peaks at 23. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah. Well, See, not certainly not for me. Not for me either. I yeah, think I'm I hadn't happier even, now than ever. I hadn't even started my college life yet. Jeez. Okay. What? <laughs> where did the color yellow for cabs and buses come from? Well, who came uh, up with the idea? Who came up with who the came idea? up with the idea of yellow for cabs, buses? Well, for heaven's sakes, that's I was going to say because it's uh, obviously easy to. See spot, quick to see, stands out. No, you're right. Out, it's easier to spot. Yeah. And that was where it came from. But yeah. who had this idea? Idea. The person. There's the actual... Should I know this person? No. Okay, then tell me. Why should okay, I Okay, he was the future owner of a rental car company. Hertz. John Hertz. David, okay. John Hertz. Now, that's later in life. He became the rental car company okay. owner. But in an earlier life, in the 1920s, he was the owner of a taxi cab company, and he funded a University of Chicago study on colors. Oh, really? Yeah. He wanted to know what color in the spectrum was most visible from a distance. And the answer that came back was a shade of yellow. Yes. So he promptly painted every taxi cab in his fleet yellow. Very and smart. And that started a tradition, and Very that carried smart. over to uh, school buses, traffic signs, all kinds, of, and you know, construction vehicles. Yep. Something that needed to be seen from and, a distance. Okay. But anyway, John Hertz is responsible for, for the, the color, color yellow. yellow. Huh. Okay, here's a quick factoid on Kevin Costner. Your favorite actor. <laughs> Well, one of them. Well, he's yeah, he's up there. He's good. When he graduated from high school, he was five foot two inches, and by the time he was a full grown adult, he was six one. What? Yeah, he grew almost a foot after high school. That is very unusual. That's unheard of. Yeah, well, not for Kevin. Wow. Okay, here's the question: Mexico City, Bob, is now sinking up to twenty inches per year. And it could reach 65 feet in the next century. You mean it could sink 65 feet? in the next century. Wow. It's already considered too far gone to save or even try. I mean, the whole city is just going to... Well, it was built on a marsh. It was built on a swamp. I mean, they basically, the original city there by the Aztecs was islands with water all around them. That's what the Spanish came and saw, and it was just stunning to them. So my question is, why? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I answered it, didn't I? (laughs) Well, yeah, but actually, this is interesting. According to Science Alert, after centuries of water drainage from underground aquifers, the lake bed on which the city sits has grown increasingly dry, causing the clay sheets to compress and crack at a largely unstoppable rate. So it's not swampy anymore. It's drying and cracking and causing the sinkage. And sinking, wow. Yeah, that is scary. What do you what do you do? How do you plan for the future if you live in Mexico City? I don't know. I mean, you know, you build a building there? I don't think it's so. It's a lot larger problem than uh, propping up the uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa, that's for sure. No, and nobody cares that it leans. All right. Let's go to uh, Broadway, Marsha. What is the longest running There's show? There's no business like Marsha. Yeah. Marcia, just a moment. <laughs> what is the longest running show on Broadway? You know the answer to this. One of your favorite shows. It used to be fantastic. Is it Les Mis or uh, The Phantom? Or... It's Phantom. Okay. Today it's Phantom, Phantom of the Opera by Andrew Lloyd Webber. How many performances has it had? Just reopened on Broadway after COVID. Okay. Um, how many shows in New York? 
13,370 no. performances and counting. That's a few. It's been on Broadway how long? Since 1988. Gosh. And it's highly unusual in that it is lavishly orchestrated. Most yeah, shows today yeah, aren't. It's huge. And on Broadway, that orchestra is live, and the show calls for an unusually large ensemble of nearly 30 musicians. Now, here's another unique fact. According to Andrew Lloyd Webber, who recently went to New York for uh-huh. rehearsals to get it all running again, uh-huh. most of the 30 musicians have been playing with it since the first oh, night. no kidding. In 1988. Well, These people have been working on that show for more than 33 years. You can be a family person. He says, today I don't think we'd be able to do it with an orchestra. I think everybody's forgotten what a real orchestra can sound like and why it's so important. Tell the wedding people that. They have disc jockeys. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. That's a lot of people to employ for one show. Now, he, as I said, he recently rehearsed with the orchestra. They said that's very rare. Most composers only attend to new shows. And he just opened a new show. Oh, (laughs) what's it called? It's called Cinderella. And it's opened in London uh, in uh, the summer of 2021. Ah. But the Majestic Theater has hosted more than 13,370 performances of Phantom. And I've got a list of all the others. It's interesting. The top five have Phantom, Chicago, Lion King, Cats, Wicked, Les Miserables, A Chorus Line, Oak, Calcutta, Mamma Mia, and Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Yeah, we've seen a lot of and those. And of those top 10, only one, two, three, four are still running. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Bet you didn't know this, Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There are four letters in our alphabet that individually look the same no matter what you do to them. Turn them upside down, look from behind, but they look exactly the same. Can okay. you name any of the letters? Two of them I name right away, I and O. Yes. Okay. That's very good. Uh, let's see. You're on your way. L? No. The other two are X. Of course. <laughs> and H. Of course. What's H- wrong with me? Heox. H-I-O-X. So there you go. Take that into the future with you. <laughs> okay, here's just a question as winter comes on. How many Americans depend on natural gas for heat? What do you want, percentage? Yeah, or? just a percentage. 73.6. No, not that many. I, 42. I well, it's nearly half, let's put it that okay. way. And of course, the bad news is the projections are they'll spend an average of 29% more on heat this winter, oh, according yeah. to a forecast. Yeah. That's right. All right, Levi Strauss made denim popular in the 1850s by, what, making durable trousers for? Farmers. Gold miners. Those two. Gold miners. Gold miners. California gold rush. How big is the denim market today? I think it's still pretty big. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing them. You're wearing them. <laughs> Uh, how do you want this answered in percentages? In, in dollars. Oh, in t- this should be a pick from three different categories. Pick from one. Dollars. <laughs> Tell <laughs> no, me I the mean, answer. Million dollars, 10 million, 20. I'll say, I don't know, 400 million a year. You know, I would think it would be something like that. But boy, Levi Strauss would be surprised that the uh, popularity of of that cloth denim that he made popular originated Mm -hmm. in France. But according to global industry analysts, the worldwide denim market was worth more than $60 billion. I was close. In 2020. (laughs) It's projected to grow another $20 billion by 2026. Wow. Well, it's durable. It's easy. It It keeps coming back into fashion and going out and back into fashion and going out. Okay. I did a lot of word questions this time because I find those interesting. Did you know there is only one English word that ends in M-T? Only one English word? Yeah, that ends in M-T. Hard to believe, isn't it? Think about it. Think about it. The word dent is dempt. No, no. <laughs> Kempt. 
No, I don't know. What, what, what yes. is it? According to Oxford Dictionaries, the word dreamt and its derivatives is the only one, including undreamt, daydreamt, redreamt, the only other words that end in those letters. Isn't it interesting? That is. I would be surprised there wouldn't be more English words with M-T. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Dreamt. Your turn. You want questions with choices? Okay, I've got one for you. <laughs> Which of these countries has two capitals? Two capitals. Two Country. capitals. Okay. Ecuador, Belgium, Vietnam, or Bolivia? Vietnam. Now, I would have said that because we think of North and South yeah. Vietnam. They yeah. were two countries, but now they're one. Bolivia is one of just a handful of countries on the world to have two capitals, officially named the Plurinational State of Bolivia. Do you know what plurinational means? Uh, no, I don't. It's a state with multiple indigenous languages existing in the same okay. country. Pluri, meaning plural. So the official seat of government is in La Paz, while Sucre, S-U-C-R-E, or Sucre, is the legal constitutional capital in the seat of the judiciary. But why? Well, oh. the official language is Spanish, but it has 37 native languages in Bolivia. No kidding. Yeah, and because of that, they decided more than one capital needed because okay. of these rival groups, rival political groups. What is the most famous plurinational nation? I would say... The most famous in the world, containing large groups of people with different nationalities yeah, and languages. Yeah, 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 I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Um, it's not like Paris or something. No, it's the Paris. United Kingdom. UK, really? yeah. Took 170 years to form. 1543, oh. England annexed Wales, which was a separate country, on the same island, but a separate country. And in 1603, Scottish King James inherited Ireland. He brought that into union with England and Wales. And then in 1707, the Kingdom of England Acts officially joined all four together, England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. They all had separate languages into the same political body. So what we think of as England or the UK is a plurinational organization. Different governments, different languages. Bring them all together. That's what a plurinational thing all is. Right. I thought that was interesting. It is. Okay. I'm going to read you a sentence, Bob, and uh, what's unique about it. Here's the sentence. A rough-coated, dough-faced, thoughtful plowman strode through the streets of Scarborough, and after falling into his slough, he coughed and hiccoughed. What's unique about that sentence? It's O-U-G-H. It's got a whole bunch of O-U-G-Hs. There are nine different ways to pronounce O-U-G-H, and they're all in that sentence. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That one sentence contains them all, every sound of O-U-G-H. And they're all in the same English language. Yeah. No yeah. wonder it's confusing for yeah. people. Oh, who, who could learn this? <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe there were a couple of samples of how it's pronounced, Yeah. but not nine is ridiculous. So, so it's O-U-G-H is the the four letters wow. that are pronounced nine different ways. All right, let's take a break. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. You know, I love to read the New York Times book review. Any book reviews that appear in papers like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, because you always learn something. If it's a historic or a, a biographical book, you learn a fact that you never knew before. So here is something that comes out of uh, the category, sometimes things grow out of proportion. What do they call it? Mission creep? Yeah. <laughs> How big was the novel Crime and Punishment supposed to be originally? 
Say again, how big was How the, big was the novel Crime and Punishment supposed to be? Oh, before editing? <laughs> no, did you remember what I said about mission creep? Oh, yes, so it expanded. Yes. The, when author. the author proposed it to its publisher, oh. Fodor Dostoevsky. He initially proposed Crime and Punishment as a 90-page story. No kidding. That would take him, oh, only two weeks what, to complete. What, did he get on drugs then, or what happened? <laughs> it took him forever, and it's huge. When George Washington, Bob, was heading up our country, we had 350 federal employees. How many do we have today? Oh, dear. There must be hundreds of thousands. Yes. How many? 2.93 million. Oh, my God. In the federal <laughs> government? Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. No, nobody could control that. That's called growth growth rate. Wow. State and local employees number, ready? 20 million. God. So that's that's a heck of a lot. All mm. right. I have a geography question for you, Marsha. Somewhere ahead. in the world, Marsha, two <laughs> islands, 2.5 miles apart, have a 30-hour time difference. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. Somewhere in what, what? Somewhere in the world. Oh, in the world. Two islands. Two and a half miles apart have a 30-hour time difference. Where and why? Well, is it is it out like in the China Sea or something? No, I don't know. Tell me. They're in the Bering Strait. Oh. That makes sense, that right? That makes sense. Where right? Asia and North America yeah. and Russia and Alaska are separated by 53 miles. Yeah. The two countries even share custody over the Diomede Islands there. Russia claims uh-huh. Big Diomede, uh-huh. while the U.S. claims Little Diomede. And Big <laughs> and Little are only two and a half miles apart at their closest point, but they fall on opposite sides of the international date line. Oh so why gosh. not 24 hours apart? Yeah. That's the question. How many right? total again? 30, they said. And wow. that has something to do with daylight saving yeah. time. Some wow. parts of the world don't have daylight saving time and yeah. everything else. So uh, Little Diomede... That's the United States, is 20 hours behind Big Diomede, which is the Russian, in the summer, and 21 hours behind it in the winter. Yeah. So uh, that's why Big Diomede, the island in Russia, is known as Tomorrow Island, and Little Diomede in the United States is known as Yesterday Island. Those islands are yeah. only two and a half miles apart. I never would have thought of that. And Bering Straits always fascinated me. You know, the first people used to walk over them. That's how they got to yeah, North America. That was during the Ice Age. Yeah. Things kind of changed so, for a while. It became yeah. a land bridge. So they, the that's first, what they think. We don't know for sure, of course. Yeah. But. I mean, people, yeah, just weren't born here. They were, they walked over from. They were Asia. launched here. <laughs> they were launched. You could see it, them walking here from your back porch. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's very funny. Okay, my little presidential scholar. What president weighed 98 pounds when he took office? (laughs) (laughs) The president weighed 98 pounds? Yeah. Oh, that's James Madison, isn't it? Yeah, very good. Because he was considered a very small man. He was. A very diminutive guy. Yeah, he was five feet four inches. That's what I am. But he came in a little less than I did at 98 pounds and five foot four. Very thin, lithe little man. Lithe. That's He's responsible for our um, Bill of Rights. So the... uh, Okay. The things that are really important in the Constitution. All right, here's a music question for you. The compact disc, the CD that launched a revolution in music, Uh digital music, they were first developed by the Philips and Sony companies in 1976. But what year was the first album released on CD? From 1976, when that was invented, to what year? When did the first album come out on CD? 1980. 1982. Who was the artist? The first CD album was it? Was it the Beatles? Nope. Was no, that? that's the, that's the next question coming up. Who was it? Okay, Billy Joel. 
Really? His album 52nd Street, which featured Big Shot in My Life, that was the first ah. album released on CD. And the year again was 80... 82. 82. That's the year we got married, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Interesting. The first disc was pressed at a Polydor Records pressing plant in Hanover. It was a brand new factory, and it wasn't far from the place where Emil Berliner manufactured the first gramophone 93 years oh. earlier. Cool. Isn't that interesting? Little a little serendipity. There. Okay, two more okay. CD questions. One on the Beatles, but first, what artist was the first to have his entire catalog released on well, that, CD? His entire cat was it? Uh, Dylan? No. Elvis? No. Beatles? No. <laughs> David Bowie. Oh, really? His fifteen studio albums were released on disc in February '85, along with the four greatest hits albums he had put out. All right, so now that leads us to the question that you ask about: When did the music of the Beatles first debut on CD? Remember, the first CD was '82. When did the Beatles finally let the world have their music on CD? I'll say '85. No, I would have thought that too. It was '93. They oh were, my goodness! They were holdouts they stayed on out that. on vinyl. They were holdouts on that, and they were holdouts on streaming as well. But you know, when you got gold, you can hold yeah. out on it. You know, <laughs> it's interesting uh, because I found this out when I was just stumbling around on YouTube the other day, and I found there's a press conference in 1993 with George Martin and George Harrison. It was that big of a deal that the Beatles catalog was going to be released, and it was 1993. I can't believe that we all just continued to buy vinyl for all those years. Yeah. Uh, from the Beatles uh, when CDs were out. Wow. And okay. vinyl, of course, has come raging back. It's oh, like... okay. Well, in February 1964, evangelist Billy Graham broke his lifelong rule against watching television on Sunday. What did he watch? What did he watch on Sunday? Oral Roberts. <laughs> no, no, think it through. February 1964, what did he tune into? What... He watched the Beatles. He did. On Ed Sullivan. Yes. Oh, my God. He didn't watch TV on Sunday? No, that was his just his rule. Oh, Lord. <laughs> All right, voting, Marsh. Yes. How old do you have to be to vote here? Here? Yeah. 18. 18. And it was 21 for years. We mm -hmm. remember in our time yeah. it changed. What is the youngest legal voting age in the world? I'll give you four ages, okay? Mm -hmm. Eight, 13, 16, or 17? Really? Which one? 16. 16, Yeah. These are nations where you can vote when you're only 16 years old. This is wow. interesting. Nicaragua, Scotland, Ethiopia, Ecuador, Cuba, Brazil, and Austria. Now, no kidding. That, Austria. Yeah. The young age has been criticized by some, but on the other hand, proponents of the lower age say helps the next generation get involved in politics. And, and think things through, yeah, maybe. Yeah, for the betterment of their country. I don't trust their judgment worth uh, anything, but <laughs> wow. Now, as of 2021, most countries have 18 as their minimum, but 16 years old. Now, that seems a bit early. Okay. All right. This is kind of funny. Here's a factoid you probably didn't know about. Who was the character of Yoda modeled after? The character oh. Yoda, the oh. puppet-like oh, Star Wars. Of, he, who does he remind me of? I don't know who. Albert Einstein. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> with the hair and all that. Yes, yes, adorable. Yeah, so yes. you could, he was partly modeled after a photo of Albert Einstein. Yeah, that is cute. I thought that was pretty funny. Hmm? Okay, Bob, gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> What's coming up soon? Thanksgiving. That is correct. All right. What's the most popular food at Thanksgiving? turkey i would assume oh you're right the majority of people want turkey for thanksgiving more than any other dish as the favorite 
choice. Okay. According to Martha Stewart, and who else would know, 29.5% of people. That's a majority. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a majority, only 29%. Well, because that was the highest number. Wow. Yeah. All right. Every, some people liked ham, like moi, or uh, other things, standing rib roast, you know, things like that. And according to Fox Business News, their survey shows what are the three top side dishes hmm. Hmm. <laughs> that people like the most. Well, uh, of course, I always liked... Um Sweet potatoes, but I'll say mashed potatoes. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Oh, okay. 33.84% people. That's the number one. And, uh, and of course, I hate mashed potatoes, but we're not talking about me here. And you're not crazy about turkey either, obviously. <laughs> you like ham and something else. Sweet potatoes. Okay. okay. All but right. What What's are the others? Stuffing. I love stuffing. Okay, that makes sense. 27.28%. And this, have we ever had mac and cheese? For a Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving I don't think so. On the side? Yeah, that's the third most popular, at huh. almost you know, eleven and a half percent. And according to this particular survey from Fox Business News, the least popular on the lists are green beans and salad. <laughs> really? Now, salad I like, but yeah. green beans I can see that being lesser. Yeah, that isn't just, that interesting? What you've just told us there indicates that after all the culinary improvements supposedly made in the diet. We're a meat and potatoes country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we really are. You know, you and I like ancient trees. We loved the redwoods when we were out on the West Coast. Which U.S. state is home to the world's oldest individual living tree? California. Where is it? It's in the redwoods. It's in the Inyo National Forest near Yosemite Park. It's yeah. a great basin, bristlecone pine. It's been verified to be 5,062 years old. All right, now what's the tallest tree in the world? What's it called? It's deep in the Redwood National Park. It's a monster that's got the name Hyperion. It stands at 380 feet tall, twice the size of the Statue of Liberty. Oh my gosh. And amazingly, it wasn't discovered until the mid-2000s. Its exact location is kept under wraps to protect the tree. Oh, that's good. Makes sense, doesn't yes, it? Yes, I'm glad. Hyperion. Glad to hear that. Hyperion. Okay. I'm going to finish up now with some quotes, Bob. Uh, quotes, all right. Quotes they're, are always good. They're pretty much for famous thanks. last words or quotes. <laughs> Not or... today. No, no dying words. Oh, okay. <laughs> for thank uh, for upcoming Thanksgiving, we're going to end with a few uh, thoughts about that. Billy Shakespeare always has a word or two. He says, "Small cheer and great welcome makes a merry feast." Sounds good for Thanksgiving and Christmas to me. Yes, it does. Hanukkah, whatever. You got it all covered there. Say that again. Small cheer and great welcome makes a merry feast. That's pretty good. That That's... covers, uh, you know, your Thanksgiving, your Hanukkah, your Christmas. It's all covered with Bill there. Okay. How about Maya Angelou? Okay. Be present in all things and thankful for all things. At all times. <laughs> yes, we should. And Just then, add that to our quote. It's better. Okay, that's <laughs> I, I my did, opinion. I did write my own quote here at the end. <laughs> this <is> okay. <laughs> this Thanksgiving Day, even if you're alone with just a pumpkin Pop-Tart, see what's there and not what's missing. Dash, Marcia Smith. <laughs> Wisdom from the ages. <laughs> From Marcia. <laughs> From the off-ramp. Okay. Yes, and on that note, it's time to go. I guess it is. Thanks for listening. We wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving in the United States and a good weekend for everyone else listening in other parts of the world. 
Join us again next time when we return with more trivia here on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.